seasons, right? And then all of a sudden, I don't know if anybody has ever experienced like the suddenly, a suddenly of God. Like things seem to be going okay, and then all of a sudden, suddenly something happens, you know? It could be a suddenly good. And it could be a suddenly not so good. The Lord tells us to uh, be mindful of these things. It says in one place, and if we can go to the PowerPoint slides. So Yeshua speaks a lot about the end times. And a lot of his disciples were often asking him about the end times. And they were very curious. And it made sense that they were asking because, honestly, it was really, from their perspective, things were really close. And if we know historically, it was only one generation after Jesus is when the Romans just decimated Jerusalem. And that was sort of like an end times experience for them. And they knew it was going to happen because the prophet said it was going to happen. And they were like, you know, what's the signs of your coming? What's the signs of your coming? Right? They didn't have Fox News to tell them what the signs of the coming is. Or CNN, whatever your preference is. They didn't have the ability to kind of look on TV or on Twitter, or the artist formerly known as Twitter, X, to tell them what the signs of the coming is coming are. So they asked the Lord, you know, what's the sign? What are we looking for? What are we looking for? What are we looking for? How do we know that the time of the end is coming? How do we know that you're coming back soon? How do we know that you're going to repair all things soon? And he said things, Yeshua said things that were pretty generic, and honestly, things that every single generation can take a look at society and take a look at life and say, yep, this is the end. And how many times even in our own life have we looked at things, you know, there'll be earthquakes and there's an earthquake somewhere. Oh, it's time. Or a war or a rumor of war. And we certainly see that happening right now with wars happening in different fronts around the world. And the, so, the, so we never know. Like we never know if what we're seeing is like a portend of the end or if it's just something that's going to come and go. But the people of his time and his disciples were asking the Lord, like, what should we be looking for? And he said something very interesting. He said that the time of the end, the coming of the Son of Man, this is the second coming. He said it will be just like the days of Noah. And we can go into many, many angles, and we could take a look at that from many different perspectives. But he says there's something, uh, it's something related to the times of Noah which is going to be similar to the times of his second coming. And then he says, for in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now, that, by the way, is not so bad, right? I'm a big fan of marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a big, yes, I'm a big fan of marriage. And they were eating and drinking, you know? So they weren't doing anything that was overly sinful. It's like he's not saying the people were living sinful lives, when he says marrying, they're marrying, giving into marriage, and eating and drinking, he's pretty much saying they're just going about their life. Like, this is just basic life stuff, right? Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they didn't understand, uh, until the flood came and took them all away. Until the flood came and took them all away, so will the son of coming of the Son of Man be, and it continues to say one will be taken, and one will be left behind. So really what he's saying, of all the different angles you can take a look at this at through, what he's saying is that for the population, it came unexpectedly. It was a suddenly. Things were just kind of like going along. They were cruising along through life, you know, some weddings happening. You know, they went to uh, the restaurants. 
of the time. You know, maybe they went to Blackie's there in Smithfield or uh, um, uh, Tavolo's right in on, on Route 7 or uh, or Johnny's Victory Diner in Barrowville, you know, hot spot, you know. So, you know, they were just eating and drinking. They were just going about their lives, and all of a sudden, it came, right? And he's really telling the people, just just be mindful of the times. Always be mindful. You know, always just, just be ready. Always just be ready. And really what it just means to be ready is just, just be right with Adonai. Just always make him first in your life. Be ready with, just be right with the Lord. If there's any sin that's, that's easily besetting us, just bring it before him in repentance. Just be ready. Just be passionate about living a righteous life as best as we're able, knowing that we're not saved by our righteousness. We're saved through his righteousness. But we live a righteous life, a righteous life according to his word as best we're able. And that's really what, it, really what it means to be ready. But if the days of the end are similar to the days of Noah, we can look at this from many perspectives. And I want to bring it into one, from one perspective, and this is what I want to share with you today, is that the world was going through intense, the most intense tribulation at that time. I mean, it was worldwide calamity, right? Death and destruction all around, just calamity all around. But in the middle of all this calamity, in the middle of all this devastation and all this destruction, there was a place of safety in the ark. There was a place of peace. There was a place of protection for the people of God. And I want you to know that this can be translated into your life as well. Because, man, things can turn in life. In a moment, things can happen. And things can cause us to be very fearful. And things can cause us to be very anxious. And things can cause us to be very, very sad. But I want to tell you something. I believe this as, as surely as I stand before you today. That in the midst of calamity, there's a place of comfort. Right in the center of it, there's a place of comfort. There is another ark that's mentioned in the New Testament. It wasn't really an ark. I love Lou's smile, by the way. I, I think if Lou's smiling, I think I'm doing okay. Like, once she stops smiling, I'm, ru- I'm, I'm, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> So there's an ark or another boat that's mentioned by Yeshua in, um, or mentioned in the New Testament. And this is a boat that was also on stormy waters, on turbulent waters. Except this was not necessarily an ark, but the concept is the same thing. And we know it. It says Yeshua was on the stern. What was he doing on the boat? He was sleeping. He was snoring away. I don't know what was louder, his snoring or the storm. But it was stormy weather. And we learned that in the narrative here, that it was actually stormy weather. Now, they're on the Sea of Galilee, which is, if you've ever seen it, it's a beautiful sea, very serene. But apparently it was a very stormy day, and the waters were very, very stormy. Yet Yeshua is asleep. And what is he telling us by that? What is he telling us? I'm telling you that he's telling us that in the midst of the greatest turmoils in our life, I tell you there's a place of calm. I tell you there's a place of divine peace. It's there. Not only is it there, it's our inheritance. It's your inheritance. It's your inheritance to find that place. 
it's your inheritance to live there. Yeshua said, and I'm going to be jumping around, Kiara, so can you just go forward? Um, go forward again, we'll go back again. You can go forward and forward and forward and forward. This, you can go forward. And you can stop there or there. And the peace, we'll, we'll figure this all out. And the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in the Messiah issue in Christ Jesus. What does it mean that the peace of God that surpasses understanding? What does it mean that this peace surpasses understanding? It's beyond our comprehension. It means that the circumstance and the situation does not merit the peace. That's exactly what it means. Do you understand that? It means that the situation doesn't merit the peace. The situation merits, from a natural perspective, anxiety. The situation, from a natural perspective, merits sadness. And I want to also give you the grace to be fearful, to be anxious, to be sad, if something tragic or horrible happens in your life. But I tell you one thing, there's a difference, and I've shared this recently in Saturday groups a couple of months ago, there's a difference between when something happens and it gives you anxiety, but it's a little more temporary or momentary, and like you're scared of something, or you're sad about something, and you're able to kind of go back to like a, a sense of normalcy, that's normal. But there's also a, an epidemic in the world, and sadly it's also in the body of Christ, where there's chronic fears, chronic anxiety, and chronic depression, So I want to give you, and I want you to know that you have the grace to have these moments as life has its moments. But I just want to encourage you, if there's something chronic, if there's like anxiety you just can't get away from, and even if the situation's gone, you're still dealing with it, you know, or even if the thing that made you sad is gone, you're still dealing with it. I really want to encourage you to do what I do, and that's just to bring it before the Lord in a spirit of repentance. And say, Father, I know that my sadness, I know that my anxiety is just not in line with the fullness of joy that's at your right hand. I just know it's not. And as much as I pray and ask for prayer and bring it before you, I can't get over it. I just wake up and I'm nervous. Or I wake up and I'm angry. Or I wake up and I'm fearful. Whatever it is, really encourage you. Because repentance, I think, is a lost art in Christianity. Because we rely on the, on the cross of Christ, and we do. But it doesn't mean that we don't continue to struggle throughout our lives. We do. And it has nothing to do with your salvation. Jesus secured our salvation. But over the course of our life, we just have to come before God and say, Father, I just repent of this. Like, I repent, Lord God, of just having this chronic anxiety that I can't get over. I know, Adonai, that it is not in line with the fullness of what you have. I know it's not. But I, I'm having, I can't get over it. So, Lord, I just repent of it, and I renounce it. And I turn away from it, Lord God, as best as I'm able, because I want nothing to do with it no more. And I encourage you to do that. I really encourage you to do that. I could tell you fully and sincerely that I've, ex I've experienced enormous amount of victory in my life from just being humble before the Lord in the areas that we just can't, I just can't get over. In the areas that I know, if I really took a step back uh, uh, and took a serious look at it, I'm like, 
that is misaligned with the fullness of what God wants for me as his son. And to just repent and renounce. In Hebrew, repentance is, Jim would know, it's teshuva. Teshuva. And teshuva is not just repentance meaning say I'm sorry. It's actually to turn away from it. And it's important when we, when we repent of something to say, like, Lord, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm ready to go the other way. Even if we're not ready to just say, Lord, I'm ready to turn the other way. Yes? Yet turning towards God, away from this challenge and towards God. But God provides, and he says he has the peace which surpasses understanding. And I tell you right now that the peace that surpasses understanding, because it surpasses understanding, it is in the middle of those tumultuous waters. That's where he provides peace. If you can go backwards, one. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give you. There's a, there's a level up of the peace that God provides, and it's your inheritance. It's your inheritance as sons and daughters of God. And I pray that you grab it, and I pray that you believe it, because it truly, truly is a gift from God to you to have calm in that storm, to have peace in that calamity, not be taken out of it, but to have peace within it. That's what we learn from Noah's Ark. The waters were tumultuous, but there was a place of peace within it. If you can go back, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. I think that's the start of it. There's an amazing prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy. This is from the book of Isaiah. And it's a prophecy of the second coming. And this is a prophecy of when Yeshua is back on earth. And this is a prophecy of the peace on earth that Yeshua will bring in his second coming when he returns, of the messianic kingdom that's going to be on earth when he repairs this world. And we sure see in this world that it needs his repair. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come soon, come quickly, and just make everything right because things are very, very wrong. But there's, a, there's an amazing prophecy, and it's so beautiful. The poetry is very, very beautiful from Isaiah 11. This is about the second coming. This is about when Yeshua is back and he brings peace on the earth. True peace. Not peace accords. But true peace from heaven. He says, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goats, and the calf and the young lion and the fatted steer will be together, and a little boy will lead them. This is beautiful poetry from Isaiah. And the cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. For as the earth will be filled, for the earth will be filled full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What an amazing prophecy that is. We see like in Noah, like he used the water to destroy the earth. And then at the end, he's going to say the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this concept, when it lists all those animals, you know, the lions and the tigers and the bears. You had to go there, didn't you? You're getting along with each other. Getting along with each other. These are, these are predatorial animals that are mentioned, and these are animals that don't get along. Now they're going to get along. 
And that's a beautiful thought. Of, and really, really what it is, it's a picture of humanity that don't get along, that do not get along with each other getting along. This is really what the picture is because God cares so much more because even Yeshua said that he cares much more. How much more does he care for you if he cares about the sparrow? He cares much more about his sons and daughters. And if the lion and the ox or whatever it is and the wolf and the lamb and a child will be able to just be right there with them, this is a picture of the, of the, of the, of the kingdom that's coming. And it's a beautiful picture of peace. But it's interesting. There's one other place, and I read this once, and I think it was some rabbi somewhere that actually said this, and I found it very, very interesting. There's one other place in all of the scriptures when the animals that would otherwise kill each other or try to eat each other got along, like we see here in this end times prophecy. There's one other place in Noah's Ark. That's where something clearly supernaturally happened when all these animals were kind of getting in line, you know, and the, you know, and Leo the lion is, you know, right by uh, Boaz the cat. That's our cat, Boaz. And Leo the lion would have, you know, gobbled up Boaz the cat in a heartbeat. But here they are lined up. All right, all right, all right. I guess we're going up there. Okay, all right. Oh, third deck, all right, good, good. Waterfront views, good. I like it, good, good. And they all got along really well. So what does this mean? that the animals all got along in this supernatural way, just like they got along in this end times kingdom prophecy. It means that this place of peace within the storm is like the kingdom itself. And I tell you right now that in the storms of our life, I tell you that there's a place of kingdom, kingdom peace right in the middle of it. Now, I am a big believer that God puts his reality and his truth into nature. And the pagans took that and twisted it. They're like, oh, awesome, let's worship the nature. So that's wrong. But God puts his truth. He puts his, a bit of himself, his reality, so we can look at things and say like, oh, wow, I, 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 I see the Lord's attributes in this. And one area in nature where I see the Lord's attributes is in a storm. Because if you have a, uh, a circular hurricane, a cyclonic, I don't know if that's even the right word, Storm, tornado, what's in the middle of it? Like a hurricane. What's in the middle? The eye. What is the eye of a storm? It's calm. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible, George? <laughs> Isn't that incredible that in the middle of a storm, listen to this, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a Category 5 whatever it is coming up the East Coast hurricane, right in the center of this thing, right in the center of this thing, is a place where there's no wind, is a place where the sky is blue. Is that remarkable? I tell you right now, it's divine. I tell you right now that it's, it's God's truth embedded into his creation. That in the middle of our hurricane seasons in our life, our category ones and our category fives is a place of comfort. If you can go back one and, <laughs> okay, back six. Uh, go back one more. So the Hebrew word, the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew of Noah's name is Noah. 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 Don't try to say that if you're sitting next to somebody. 
because you get a little bit of spittle all over their face. Noach. But what does the word Noach mean? It's comfort. His name means comfort. Why? What is the teaching in that? Why is Noah's name, why does it give him the name comfort? Comfort. Noach means comfort or rest. I want you to just picture this. The world is going through catastrophe. And right in the center of it, safely, is comfort, is rest. And this is what God wants to tell you. There's a place of comfort in the midst of the storm. This is what Yeshua provides. This is why he said, peace, I give you peace. I leave you not as the world gives. There's peace. And Father, for everyone here who's having really trouble finding that peace, Adonai, I lift up everyone here, Father, for them to press into that, press into that peace, to press into the peace, to believe it, to know it, and to enter into that place of peace. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that it's easier to preach about than it is to live. Let's just be real with each other. A whole lot easier to preach about than it is to live. But I tell you right now that it's there. It's a spiritual reality. And it's also your inheritance as sons and daughters of the king. Thank you, Father. You know, there's so many uh, situations in the Old Testament, especially, where God brings judgment on a people, on a people group. We see it in other places. We see it in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And in every single place, he provides a place of protection for his people. Every time, his people are protected. Every time. Even though in every story, it's in a different way. For the Sodom and Gomorrah story, he took his people out. He said, get out of Dodge. I'm, I'm taking care of business over here. Get out. Right? He, he protected them by bringing them out. In the story of the plagues in Egypt, it was a different paradigm. They, he put them in Goshen where the plagues didn't touch him. They were in it, but unaffected by it. Right? There was darkness all around Egypt, except in Goshen where they were, there was light. Hear that, sons and daughters of God. There was darkness all around, but where the people of God was, there was light. This is your inheritance. This is what you're adopted into. But the way he kept Noah safe and the ark safe was also a little bit different. The waters were there. The tribulation was there. The calamity and the catastrophe was there. How did he keep Noah and his family and the animals, the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my, safe? They weren't in the middle of it. They weren't in the middle of it, per se. Noah wasn't given a little snorkeling suit. He was not a scuba diver. Noah and his family was kept safe. Because they rose above it. They were above it. Go forward. Forward, 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 forward. Oh. Therefore, if you have been raised with Messiah, keep seeking the things that are what? Above. Where Messiah is, where Christ is, keep going, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. I tell you right now, 
that no matter how bad things can get, no matter how challenging things can get, whether it's life, whether it's society, whether it's in the home, I tell you there's a place that is above. That's above. That's above. That's higher. That's higher than the place of calamity. That's higher than the place. The problem that people have is that they get enmeshed. They get sucked down into the fighting. They get sucked down into the battle, and they drown. And I tell you right now that the spirits of the world want to suck you into it. But God wants you always to go higher. Always to go higher. There's a place of safety higher. And with Noah in the boat, as high as the waters got, even above the mountaintops, it was always higher. He didn't get sucked into it. It went higher. And I tell you right now, there's a place above, above, above the calamity, above the trials where there's a place of safety. Yeshua, Jesus, walked on water. Walked on water. He didn't get sucked down into the water. He walked on the water. And taught his disciples to do so. We know that story, right? You know, Peter, Peter was an impetuous guy, you know. Give me the word, Lord, I'm coming out. And the Lord is like, he's so gracious, you know. All right, come on, let's bring it, come on. You want to do it? Come on. I got you, I got you. But it says that Peter, you know, many people misunderstand. It says, well, Peter took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink, and that is true, but it doesn't necessarily say that. It says that he, kept the, he watched the wind And then he started to drown, which means that he, he took his eyes off what's higher, where Messiah is, and he started to take a look at the things of the world because it was stormy weather. He started to take a look at the storm. And when he looked at the storm, he started to sink. I tell you right now, sons and daughters of the king, children of God, that if we enmesh ourselves in the things of the world so much, we're going to start to get sucked into it. You know, and, and, you know, I, I always tell people like, you know, you can watch the news and, you know, you can, you know, get involved in these things and you can look into what's happening in the world and we should kind of keep our eye on things. It's perfectly fine. But if we get like hyper focused on events, hyper focused on politics, hyper focused on who's president and who's not president and is our elections fair. If we can get hyper focused on this stuff, it's going to get it's going to suck us in. And I tell you that the spirits of the world want that to happen because when we get sucked into these things, that's where fighting is, that's where division is. And that's not where Messiah sits, he's above it. Yeshua walks on the water and teaches his disciples to do so. So let's remember to do that. And the last thing I wanna say, you can go forward. Yeah, you could stop right there at the one before that. Is that sometimes our vessel is leaky And that's when water gets in, right? Like, how does, how does a boat lose its buoyancy? You know, a lot of people, they pray for spiritual gifts. You know, even Paul said, seek the greater gifts. Right? And there are some spiritual gifts that get a whole lot more attention than other gifts. You know, like, I want to prophesy. I want to speak in tongues. Right? The ones that get the, the you know, the ones that get a lot more attention. Here's a, here's a good prayer. Father, give me the spiritual gift of buoyancy. Because I want to stay above this stuff. Because the world really wants to suck me in. And we, you know when we lose our buoyancy is when the water gets into the boat. That's when we start to sink. 
And we're like, you know what? Water's getting into my boat, not just because I'm like, I'm, I want to do it, it's because I'm cracked. I'm a crack, I'm a crackpot. Well, God uses crackpots. You know, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So yeah, your, your boat is, has some cracks in it, so does mine. <laughs> But that's not what—that's not what gets the water in. You know, God is so gracious; He'll repair your cracks. So, Father, any cracks in the boats here, Lord God? Father, we just bring it before you, Lord God. We just pray that you just, just repair, repair us, Adonai. Repair us, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know what scripture just speaks to me? It's this one. You know, when we know that, like, we're in the world, but we're just a bunch of messed up crackpots. He says, my grace is sufficient. Power is perfected in weakness. Take that one and put it on your refrigerator. Power is perfected in weakness. Oh, I don't know. I just can't get, I can't get past this trauma that I've experienced. Power is perfected in weakness. And you go one more forward, and we'll close up shop. In the world, you have tribulation. So there it is. He already told us. He didn't say you may have tribulation. He didn't say you may have trouble. He didn't say things might get challenging. He said things are going to get challenging. You're going to have tribulation in this world. But take courage. Fear not. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Why do we get comfort from somebody else's overcoming? Because we can do it. Because his overcoming is our overcoming. His victory is our victory. Everything that he's done, every, every victory he has that's within him is our inheritance. Because the Son of God lives within you. So he is an overcomer. He has overcome the world. Guess what? No matter how troubling, how troubling life is and how much challenge you have in life, there's a spiritual reality that is higher, and that higher reality is, guess what? You are an overcomer. That's true. Life is tough. That's true. But there's a difference between what's just true and God's truth. Life is tough. That's true. You're an overcomer because he's an overcomer. That's truth. So, Father, help us at this time to live in truth, in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, Father. We love you, and we believe, Lord God, that you have a place of comfort, of serenity in the storm, calm in the calamity, whatever, however you want to say it. Father, we believe it because you say it's true, and we just live in your truth over our circumstance. I pray for peace over everyone. May the peace of God that surpasses understanding. God, all of your hearts and all of your minds. In the name of Yeshua, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's have communion together.